the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back as we head into Hour 2 of our daily three-hour tour. It's a delight to welcome back to the show our Attorney General Mark Burnovich. When um, when all the counting of the election from November 3rd was done and finished, people realized the progressives have the White House, Congress, and the Senate. They were asking me, well, what do we do now? I said, you Find more Mark Burnoviches because you're going to have to rely now on state legislatures that are Republican and attorneys general like Mark Burnovich who are going to have to take to the courts. And he is doing so. Mark, welcome back. Thanks for doing uh, doing what you're doing and for joining us. How are things going, General? I, I am doing well. Thank you for the very, very nice introduction. I need to come on here more often. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> you go, you'll, it's good for my ego. I'll give you good press. Well, but, you you know, we're watching this immigration crisis. I'd call it a crisis. I don't, you tell me the word yeah. you would use, disaster. Um, we're watching it unfold based on the policies of – unfold is the wrong word. We're watching it happen based on the policies of the Biden administration – and you were quoted. I saw I saw a report on Fox News television this morning, and then I saw one online today. You were quoted as talking about these are some of the poorest policy choices you've ever seen in government, and you're doing something about it. Talk to us about what's going on. Well, yeah, Seth. I mean, this this is no laughing matter. It is a complete fiasco. It's it's some sort of experiment going on, and Arizonans are at the very front line of this. Really, it's a debacle of this failed policy. So what? The Biden administration done. They've issued all these executive orders. I'm involved in multiple lawsuits now against them. And one of those lawsuits involves the new, what they call, quote-unquote, interim guidance. Right. And this basically stops um, people that are supposed to be deported from being deported. So under Title Eight of the U.S. Code, they are required to be deported. There is about a million to 1.2 million people right now in the United States of America that have deportation orders. They're supposed to not be here. They're supposed to be deported, um, you know, and for a myriad of reasons. So what the Biden administration has done is essentially said, we're not going to deport these people. So, And at the same time, they've kind of done the wink and the nod and encouraged people to come here. So we're having this huge influx, a surge of people trying to come into the country, according to, you know, Border Patrol, uh, up double this from this time last year. Yeah, that's a huge right. surge of people, and there's not enough capacity. And so you literally now have people that are supposed to be deported, some of them criminal, some of them charged with crimes that are just being released into our communities. And so it's not only disastrous from a perspective, from a humanitarian perspective, what's happening at the border, it's going to be an unmitigated disaster here on our social services and our hospitals and law enforcement. And it's just really not fair. It's not fair to Arizona. It's not fair to anyone. And stuff. It's the stinking law. There's a federal law. Yeah. They're not obeying the law. And this is this is what happens with the hard left. You know, we can have disagreements on policy, you know, change the policy, change the law. But my goodness, 
one person, the president, doesn't get to pick and choose and rewrite laws with the stroke of their pen. It's crazy. For which no tangible or really rational good can come other than perhaps some misplaced notion of um, of passion or humanitarianism. I was listening to your counterpart in Montana, Mr. Knudsen, making the point that, you know, what happens in Arizona with illegal immigration doesn't stay in Arizona. What Brnovich is doing is really the work of the Attorney General of the United States when you consider the idea that, you know, the drugs coming through Arizona don't stay in Arizona. You have meth crimes in Montana because of the policies at the Arizona border from the Biden administration, right? This this is not an Arizona problem. This is a national – in fact, it's really an international problem. It, it is indeed. And it is – the, the problem is, is that, look, I'm a first-generation American. Um, I, I understand – why people want to come to this country, it's great because the rule of law means something. And we have a system of place where we have a constitution where no person or no group is above the law. That's what makes this country great. But it's great because we have order, not chaos. What the Biden administration has done is they have unleashed chaos in the border. And as you were saying, it's not just Arizona. So we have these Arizona border communities. I've spoken to the sheriffs. I've spoken to the elected officials in southern Arizona. And really, they're, they're, they're worried about the system getting overwhelmed. They're worried about this criminal element coming in. But it's just as you said, I mean, this is, it, it ends up becoming a hub for fentanyl trafficking, mm-hmm. for heroin trafficking, for people that are poisoning our kids, that are poisoning our brothers and sisters. You know, um, it, it really, and, and it, it's unconscionable. And, I, and I'll give you one example. Yep. Um, you know, and I, and I hate to use these kind of examples, but there was a gentleman, the guy, gentleman, oh my God, I can't believe it's called it. I used to do that gentleman. too. You know, I used to do that. It's a default. I used to do that too. And then someone yeah. said, mm, maybe ease up on gentlemen. Yeah, I, I'm, I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, this, it's a default. Me, it's a default. I'm with it, you. This guy, this guy is a degenerate criminal. There you go. Gentlemen, erase that. Degenerate criminal. Okay. Yeah. I'll call myself. This is what happens when you're unscripted. You know. I know. It happens to me. It happens to me. So, so this 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 degenerate Emmanuel Romero Hernandez was a leader of a Phoenix Bay drug sale. Our office indicted him for sale and distribution of meth and fentanyl, and you know he ended up being convicted by our office in 2019. But during the course of that, we found out that he had been already criminally deported, and he had actually had a lifetime ban from the United States in 2017. And so these are the kind of people that we're talking about, that we're trying to make sure they're not in our country, that they don't have a legal basis to be here, they don't have a moral basis to be here. It's like, look, we don't want you here. You don't have a legal right to be here, moral right to be here. And and then yet they come back, and they're they're dealing in drugs. And, And look. Like I said, I'm first generation. I'm not trying to demonize immigrants. It's it, not this is about. This is simply about do we follow the existing law? And for the million people, the million people that have deportation orders, why is the Biden administration not deporting them? And if I can give you one other quick sure. example, this is really important. No, it's important. No, these examples are really important because you don't. People just under don't don't understand it in the specific. They just get it in the hypothetical. Yeah. Let me give you, this literally happened in a federal court yesterday in Texas. Uh, Judge Tipton in Texas had a long exchange with the United States Department of Justice, and he had raised concerns. He said several judges um, are concerned because they are aware of convicted felons that are supposed to be deported, and ICE is not deporting them, and it's actually, they're letting them um, be released into our communities. Furthermore, the judge said that some of these people want to be deported. And literally, the United States Department of Justice had no answer. They had no idea. They don't know why. 
And we've heard, and you hear the judge indicated that um, that he's heard, at least from the assistant United States attorneys, that that's because of this Biden policy mm-hmm. that no one is being deported. Mm-hmm. So when you have overcrowding, when you have people surging the border, what ends up happening is is that you have to release people in the community, and then there's not enough supervision. Right. And so it, it overwhelms the system. And that's why even today there's reports, and I haven't confirmed this, but it sounds pretty accurate, is that like the the checkpoints around Wilcox and other places um, are being taken down because there's such a surge in people coming across the border that they need all agents, um, you know, doing that now. And it's, it's causing a problem because it overwhelms the system. And then you have people into the community who aren't, you know, in Texas, there was a story that 25% of the people released there were COVID positive. Yep. So yep. the people going into the communities and, you know, then the hospital systems get overwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah, I can't. I can't go out of state without in some states without a COVID test. But these people can come here from other countries without them, and it's 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 insanity on stilts. Yeah, look, Seth, I know you're a compassionate person most of the time, but <laughs> and, and the point is, look, no, we, look, we're, we're, we're we're this is a great country, and you know when people stop wanting to come here, it, 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 it's a problem. But you have to do it the right way, and you cannot have people that literally have been ordered to be deported. The Biden administration saying. We don't care what the federal law says. We don't care what the right thing to do is because of some, you know, scoring cheap political points or showing how, I don't know, woke they are, whatever, social signal, virtual signal, whatever they call it nowadays. Because of that, they're jeopardizing our public safety. I agree with all of that. And I'm with you. In fact, I I don't even blame people outside of, uh, of, of drug smugglers and cartels. I don't blame people for wanting to come here or to even trying to come here illegally. I blame our government for enticing them to do so, so that people who want to come here legally can't. Because that's where it ends up, right, Mark? I mean, we're going to have to cap the legal immigration if we have an out of control illegal immigration. That's that's the problem I see. And, and the problem is, is that for too long, as you know, Washington D.C. Washington D.C. They, they refuse to do anything. They all want to score cheap political points, and so nothing nothing gets done. And, and and it's a problem. And the problem, and we see it exasperated in situations like this, where you have a Joe Biden Democratic president who basically is encouraging people, or their administration's encouraging people to come, and they see the results of that. And what's going to happen? To that? We're going to see those caravans again. We're going to see you bet. We're see a bunch. Unfortunately, and it's going to be a humanitarian crisis. It's going to make us look bad as a country. We are causing a humanitarian Right. Absolutely right, General Brnovich. Well, I'm glad you're the tip of the spear fighting it. Um, go, 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 go do more. Go back to court. Don't spend time with me. I want, I want you suing all the time. I'll give you a little Grateful Dead traveling music, okay? We should get a T-shirt that says that. Yeah. I want you I want you suing. <laughs> Mark Bernovich, go get him. God bless you, sir. Thanks for spending some time with us and telling us what's going on. Peace, peace. Sean, thanks. Talk to you soon. Little John Sebastian there for you. Love and Spoonful. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. 602-508-0960. I like it when, uh, when the folks at Powerline do these short takes. Things you're not going to read about in the New York Times or the Arizona Republic. Paul Marengoff, did you know... 
I mean, there's so much of this. There is just so much of this. It's hard to keep track. Did you know that law schools are now being rated according to their whiteness? The rating system determines a school, a school's excess whiteness by comparing the degree to which a law school's student body is more white than the law school admission council applicant pools and state population. Credentials to study law don't factor in, of course. Think about what that means and how a place like ASU's law school is going to be rated because we are a population that doesn't have – we are a state population that doesn't have as, as high an African-American population as other states. They have the whitest law school report. Can you believe that? The whitest law school report. So, for example, it found Case Western Reserve University's law school to be less white than approximately three-quarters of the other law schools in the study. The school's co-dean sent an email to student staff and faculty bragging about Case Western's comparative non-whiteness. They were quick to point out, however, that the whiteness study result doesn't mean the schools should be satisfied with the diversity of its student body or that... They have an equitable number of students who identify as black, Native American, Latinx, Asian American, Pacific Islander, or other underrepresented groups. The co-deans note that, quote, lack of diversity in the applicant pool continues to be a problem. In other words, there aren't enough non-whites interested in attending the school to allow the admission of even minimally qualified minorities in numbers deemed equitable by the race traders, the race mongers. The problem isn't lack of equity. The problem is the strange way that word is being used these days, equity. All right, here's one that um, may cause uh, some uh, some debate. Miles Leonard. You know who Miles Leonard is, Bill? He's a basketball player for the Miami Heat. Huh? Did I say, did I say Myers? It's not, it's not Miles? It's Myers Leonard? Really? Really? That is why you're here. Thank you. Myers Leonard. He's a basketball player for the Miami Heat, and he's been suspended by the team for using an anti-Semitic slur while doing what? Playing a video game that was live streamed. Leonard is injured and really can't play for the Heat anyway. But the suspension will prevent him from being around the team and will lead to a monetary penalty. Uh, Paul, who says he's Jewish, um, finds Leonard's language mildly offensive. But in the scheme of things, why should I care what some random basketball player said? NBA players aren't public officials. As an American, I'm more offended that someone is being punished for his choice of words. American Jews don't need the NBA to protect them from ugly Language. Chinese Muslims, by contrast, could do with some support from the NBA, but the league doesn't care about them, at least not enough to offend the red Chinese. Such a great point. Such a great point. And Leonard has apologized profusely, which you don't see from the other NBA management and players who are hat in hand with China and not only propagandizing on their behalf, but making money off the slave labor that funds them. Shame on them. Shame on them. Number three nominee 
at the Department of Justice is a woman named Vanita Gupta. She apologized yesterday in her hearings for nasty tweets about U.S. senators. It's, it's funny how these things happen. Nero Tandon lost her position, her, de- her designation to be OMB director because of tweets that she, uh, that she wrote in the, uh, when she was working in the uh, nonprofit sector. And, um, and then it came around to bite her when she realized, oops, these are the same people that have to confirm me. Well, Vanita Gupta's uh, evidently in the same situation, and um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a hell of a weird apology she, she, she delivered. She, she said in her hearings, to be honest with you, I do think that Twitter has been incredibly polarizing. I've played a role in it. It does reward snark and polarization. Can we stop on that for a minute? Because this was the same answer that um, this was the same answer that Neera Tandon gave the OMB designate. She said that social media is a place of hot and heated rhetoric, and she regrets she took part in it. Yes, we we know it can be. We know it can be. We know the world can be hot and heated. We know that uh, the fair on cable television can be hot and heated. We know uh, the fair in video games. We know uh, the fair in certain kinds of music and other forms of entertainment can be, um, can be heated, uh, can be scurrilous, uh, even uh, violent and pornographic. It doesn't mean that it's their fault when you participate in it, does it? Does it? I mean, I don't know about your social media accounts, you in the listening world here. I'd, li- I'd like to know if you've ever participated in demeaning and heated negative rants. Uh, you know, a political rant can be a political rant without you condemning someone or doxing them or calling them a slur or a, or a, or a name you wouldn't or a word you wouldn't want your children to use or that you would scold your children for using. I will tell you, I have... Um, I was slow to get on Twitter, and I was encouraged to do so by um, – I think it was Hugh Hewitt originally uh, encouraged me to do it because you can use it for great news feeds and news sources by the people you like who you can follow. So, for example, just one of many, you could – if you like Byron York's writings in journalism, you follow Byron York. Uh, sometimes on this show, I'll put out interviews on Twitter or announce interviews on Twitter. And I have a pretty robust group of people I follow. Uh, they're smart, I think, for the most part, or entertaining, or worth listening to or reading. I have never, I've been on Twitter a few years, I have never had to be engaged in incredibly polarizing snark and polarization, as as uh, Gupta says. You just don't have to do that. You don't have to participate that way. I'm as political as she is, I would think. At least I do it for three hours a day or more, probably more, because of prep time and other things I'm involved in. And I've never been involved in it. The Twitter made me do it defense is just lame. Even if Twitter brings out the worst in people, you're responsible for being part of the worst. You don't have to play that game, even on Twitter or wherever you are in social media. You don't. It's an incredibly weak number three person in the Department of Justice who says that Twitter is stronger than their will.
I was giving Mark Burnovich a uh, little Grateful Dead music. They, uh, it, I, I'm told he's a big fan of great of the Grateful Dead. There are deadheads and there are parrotheads. We're more parrothead on this show. Parrotheads are Jimmy Buffett fans. And um, I've never been to a Grateful Dead concert. It was all the rage when I was in college going around. And I even lost some college friends who just left college to go tour with them. Such was the draw. I don't know anyone that left college to follow Jimmy Buffett around. But I think his music is better. Um, maybe not the same quality of guitar work as Jerry Garcia could do, could engage in. But I, more meaningful lyrics, at least comprehensible lyrics, and lyrics that told the story of, you know, life and, and love and, and fun. Love and luck uh, is what Jimmy Buffett taught. I have no idea most of the time what the Grateful Dead are singing about. I, 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 I just don't. Um, if someone thinks Grateful Dead are better than Scarlet Begonias, I mean, you know. I understand what cheeseburgers are about. I understand what uh, one particular harbor is about. But scarlet begonias? Rob can help me out. He knows music. Hi, Rob. Well, hi, Seth. I, uh, I can't help you with that one. But when you were playing uh, you know, Lonely Boy by Andrew Gold, I was thinking about Andrew Gold. Did you know? Whatever became of him? Well, let me tell you. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away in, I think, 2011 of a heart attack. And before that, he had, I think it was kidney cancer. Mm. Um, but what's interesting, well, there's a couple of interesting things about him. One is, and I'm sure you watched this like I did, said nobody ever, but uh, the song Thank You for Being a Friend, which was the theme song for the Golden Girls. Yeah, I have a... Um... I have a colleague here named Dave in sales who stays up at night watching the Golden Girls. That's what he says. <laughs> if he can't sleep, I'm, he turns I'm, on the Golden Girls. He binge watches them. Dave Herman. Oh yeah. Well, I was kind of hoping maybe he'd do like Law and Order. Or no, I was hoping too, but no, stuff. he's into Estelle Getty. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I guess that's okay. Yeah, that's a great uh, song, though. Anyway, that was Andrew Gold? Yeah, okay, yeah. I didn't realize that. Also, yeah, also his dad uh, actually wrote... He was a composer, his dad, and he wrote the uh, the soundtrack to the movie Exodus, which I'm sure you probably heard. Yeah, I have. Maynard yeah. Ferguson plays on that soundtrack. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. Yeah, and, and of course, you know, he was part of Linda Ronstadt's band. Oh, okay. And, that makes uh, sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and he, uh, I think that's about all I know about this guy. <laughs> but he, he had done some stuff. Um, he had worked with, you know, Garfunkel, Stephen Bishop, a uh, bunch of other guys. Uh, well, Paul McCartney, Jackson Brown, Brian Wilson, Vince Gill, Celine Dion, Aaron DeVille, uh, which I think was rather interesting. I mean, the guy was, I think, an L.A., uh, standard L.A. musician who, uh, you know, did rather well. Um, but I was really calling because I, I just read the Washington Post uh, top article where it says Congress adopts $1.9 trillion stimulus securing first major win for Biden. And I, I thought about that for a minute, and I was thinking, okay, so, uh, well, obviously the uh, Washington Post is completely unbiased and objective. And the first major win for Biden, they, they paint this as though, you know, 
person who's our president uh, wins something. But when we talk about, you know, rewarding failure by having taxpayer money going to blue states to, uh, you know, pay for their mistakes and the unions who obviously are in bed with all the Democrats, I, I don't look at this and I don't think most Americans look at this as a win except for those who read the Washington Post. And well, the problem is the checks, right? I mean, people are going to get these well, yeah. checks. Uh, what are they, $1,400 checks? Is that right? Yeah. They're going to yeah. get these stimulus checks, and uh, they'll consider it a win. I, I have some more to say about that, though, the notion of what a win. Can you hold line? We'll come back to you on this. Uh, bear with me one moment. And if anyone else wants to join, 602 See, that's Paul Simon with uh, uh, David Crosby and Graham Nash. The credentials there for hippiness are pretty good. Those are pretty good hippie credentials. And you can understand what they're talking about. They articulate, you can comprehend, and it makes sense. Someone wrote me when I was just making a comment about the Grateful Dead saying the Grateful Dead and Bob Dylan did an album together and they were great. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like this. Charlie Brown's teacher. There's no reason. And people think that's music. I don't get it. Anyway, Rob, back to you. You were talking to me about Biden's legislative victory here. Well, yeah, that's that's so hilarious. Oh, and by the way, is I it wrong, though? Uh, well, it's it's very wrong, but it's wrong. Um, well, I, I'm sorry. What was the question? Do the Grateful <laughs> Dead and Bob Dylan together not sound like Charlie Brown's teacher? Oh, I I think yeah, I think you're on uh, on track with that. I I was going to mention that um, I actually met David Crosby when I was a Tomcat instructor at Miramar. I wandered up stairs and he was just wandering around, and I walked up to him and I said, "What are you doing here?" And he said, well, I'm just hanging out. And I guess he and I think it was Jackson Brown was another one of these guys that just. Fine. You can understand them. They enunciate. They articulate in precisely what they mean to say. It's fine. <laughs> that's right. It's oh, yeah, fine. That's great. But but again, yeah, going back to the, uh, the Washington Post thing, I mean, uh, the whole article is just patting the well, the Democrats patting everybody on the back about, you know, putting more money in the pockets of ordinary people and poor people, middle class, yada, yada, yada. And yet, if I recall, it took them how long to just get a measly $600 uh, in stimulus last fall? Look, I think 1400 bucks means something to some people, but I got to tell you this, too. It wouldn't be necessary if we didn't shut down states. It wouldn't be necessary if we let businesses o- – let them operate. It wouldn't be necessary if parents didn't have to scramble to find daycare for their children. It wouldn't be necessary if you lived in a state like Florida well, or exactly. South Dakota. If you live in a state like New York and California, you bet. Those governors ruined their states. We don't have an unemployment problem in this country. We have an unemployment problem in about five states. And it turns out that two of them are big ones, New York and California. You don't have this problem in Texas. You don't have it in Florida. You mostly don't have it in Arizona. You know, think about this, too. Think about this. Uh, Tom Elliott was pointing this out earlier. 
COVID basically became a national thing almost exactly a year ago, right about this time last year. And um, who were the heroes? Do you remember who the heroes were? Gavin Newsom, Andrew Cuomo, and Anthony Fauci. They were the heroes. Two out of three are in deep trouble. One is being recalled. One's being investigated um, by the Department of Justice. Um, and I, you know, I don't know if Fauci's star will fade or not. I think it should have faded a long time ago. I don't know how you go from zero masks to two masks. I don't know how you go to from uh, we won't have a vaccine to only vaccinated people can hang out with each other. By the way, does that make any logical sense to you? Well, no. Two people have to be vaccinated to hang out with each other. Does that what was? Does that make sense? At well, all? No, and that's why nobody. nobody you know what I right think, Rob? I got to tell you, I don't think they know. No, I don't I'm, think I'm sure they, they know. know. I think every time they speak, they betray ignorance of what they're telling us themselves. Well, that that presupposes that people who listen to them uh, are kind of like us, where we look at words that mean things and also pay attention and think about what they've said in the past. And I'm not so sure that we have that many people doing that anymore. You know, but the, the whole idea of this, this ridiculous bill that, again, is going to cost the American taxpayer and our children and is going to result in printing more money and get us into further debt is that, you know, it's just a bunch of left-wing priorities that have that really ultimately don't the needs of the standard American No, family. of course not. Uh, of course not. Yeah. How many people yeah. during COVID and during the shutdowns uh, did you know or do you know of that uh, were pining away that Planned Parenthood didn't have enough money? I mean, it's an insult. Well, exactly. It's an insult. It's an insult. Absolutely. It's, an, it's Absolutely. not only an insult, it's an assault. And the yeah. idea that the teachers who were getting paid – not to teach needed money is an assault. And it's a oh, tyranny, as Thomas Jefferson said, to force people to pay money for things they don't agree with. Now, of course, we live in a republic where that's going to happen, and there will be some of our priorities that maybe people on the left don't agree with. But but, but I got to tell you, not on the most tendentious tender of issues. Look, oh, yeah. it was a victory. For for Biden in the sense that um, in the sense that it showed a couple of things when the Democrats want something, they can get it now. They, they can. They, yeah. they have the House and Senate and the presidency. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I got to tell you, it shows a bit of a weakness on the Republican side because, As usual. well, you know, where was the great yeah. Republican website exposing all this? If you go exactly. to the Republican Study Committee, which I saw s- – which uh, a group out of the House, which I saw stories that they were going to lead the charge. If you go to their website looking for information on this, they have mm-hmm. a four-sentence press release from a month ago. Yeah. You know, and, and where again, do you go? Yeah. You have to go to talk radio or maybe, you know, the Federalist or other places. You have to work to find out what's in these things or well, just pass exactly it. Right. Yeah. That's exactly right, Seth. And I worry that it shouldn't again, be hard. Of- it shouldn't be hard. It shouldn't be hard. And, of course, you know, we have to step back, you and I especially, and think about the average person that is not paying a whole lot of attention because they're busy working. Right. Paying, the only attention they will pay is the fact that they got 1400 bucks. 
That's right. And they don't think about where it came from. And I guess, isn't there something more about, you know, they're going to be giving like $300 per child? Yeah, that, that, yes, of course. Yes, yes, yes. And there's like no ending. None of which was necessary. Again, none of which was necessary if you could have been rational and decided to say, you know what? We have a virus. We've been through viruses before. You know, we have an influenza season. We've had those before. Let's not shut down everything. Uh, exactly. 99.9% exactly. survival rate. By the way, a conversation <laughs> the society is not going to have. You've really got me going here. A, a oh, conversation this is 80%. 80% of COVID hospitalizations, people who are overweight or obese. How about working on that problem? And, saving yeah, stu- and solving 80% of the problem. Now, if you like Scarlet Begonias, I was embarrassed to find out Jimmy Buffett also performs it. But at least you can understand it. Let's keep that. Let's do, use that as an intro and let's have a good out for that bumper. I like it understandable okay it's the new category we're creating of bumper music scrutable lyrics we will rescue scarlet begonias from the grateful dead and give it to jimmy buffett just as we have rescued (coughs) so many bob dylan songs and given them to johnny cash scrutable lyric mission okay that's what it's called scrutable lyrics jim is in phoenix hello jim hi seth how are you I'm I'm good. I don't don't know quite what to say after that. No one really does. That's why I went to no. you. No one really knows what to say. Well, okay. I like the words of the prophets were written on the subway walls. Exactly, and uh, the sounds of silence. Nicely done, Jim. By the way, yeah, that isn't why I called. Okay. Let me tell you something about the sounds of silence. I'm old, and, and I live in Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> I've never. I'm old. Okay. Yes. Okay. And I lived in Boulder, Colorado, when uh, uh, th- th- there was this transition from uh, the hit parade and Snooky Lanson or whatever, and rock and roll, and and there was a th- the most popular radio station in Boulder, Colorado was KBOL, and they they were making this transition with the music, but they were not making the transition with the DJ. Okay. So the DJ could not understand. What was meant by the sounds of silence? Oh, interesting. Okay, silence doesn't make any sound. What, 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 right, what are you <laughs> right. About? right, right. That is funny. Anyway, anyway, anyway. You called ago. on a much more important issue. Absolutely, Andrew Gold. Andrew Gold. So, okay. Yes. So, um, my wife and I—I I can't remember quite which one, but you can't uh, remember we which wife. To, yeah. Okay. And I've only had two. Okay, all right, that's okay. Okay. I think it was the first one. Okay. And I went went to see Linda Ronstadt (laughs) at the theater in the round. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Andrew Gold was the opening act. Sure, I could see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and so he did a great job, and he sung a medley of his hit. And I don't remember quite what it was, but as he ended the song... uh, Bless her heart, a girl from the audience screamed out, I love you, Andrew. And he said, thank you, you've made my minute. That's kind of funny, but that there is a takeaway. If it was your yes. first wife, don't take her to Linda Ronstadt concerts. 
Okay, if you wanted to stay to married to her. That. Yeah. Well, but of course I didn't, or she wouldn't. <laughs> I think we better leave it there, Jim. I think. I think we, we should. Okay. <laughs> thank you for making my last two minutes. I'll leave it at that. I like music stories, though. I love it. Thank you, Jim. God bless you. Uh, David Schweikert coming right up. He'll tell us about the $1.9 trillion.